Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Jamil Spann. He is a 2020 WashU graduate who recently delivered a TEDx talk titled, Higher Education is a Human Right. He advocates for greater access to higher education for people in prison. Hey, Jamil, how are you today? I am well. Hi, Miss. Good morning. So you went through this program mm-hmm. for WashU. Tell me, tell me how this all came about. Well, I um, I was in my last last eighteen months or so of my incarceration, and I was being held at the Missouri Eastern Correctional Center. It's in Pacific Missouri. It's like right next to Six Flags. If anyone is from the St. Louis area, okay. Right? So, um, Washu came and had established a higher education and prison program prior to me being transferred there. So I got there, I learned about the program. I was really excited about it. And I, um, I applied and I didn't get accepted. <laughs> right? Oh no! <laughs> yes, right. That's, that's how I went initially. Um, but fortunately, the program is awesome. Is any program in the whole country, I'd say. And they had wraparound services. They had a book club, had a chess club, different things like that. And those um, those offerings were available to everyone who was being held captive at the prison. And you didn't have to um, apply for the chess club or the book club. So I participated in those and made somewhat of an impression on the director's the program itself and they encouraged me to reapply i did i got accepted and oh my um, gosh yeah that had to be a happy moment yes it was it really was i I didn't know um like what the program was or what they were offering i just knew that they were um i didn't know what it was going to be i knew they were offering um, credit bearing classes and i grew up in st louis so no one had to tell me that if WashU shows up offering classes, you know, you might no want to apply. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. So tell me, so tell me how, all right. So what, how did you get to prison? What happened? Uh, I, well, so I, I caught a robbery charge. That's the, um, that's the uh, short version of the story, but. I guess a little extended version, a little more extended than just a short version is I was um, in my junior year of college. I was living in Nashville, Tennessee, where I am now. I've returned to Nashville. I've been back in Nashville for about a year now, came back in June of 2020. But it was September 2003. I was in my junior year of college at Fisk University here in Nashville, came back to St. Louis for a weekend and never made it back to school. You know, um, I took part in a robbery. Uh, it was really stupid and like, it was like the biggest mistake of my life. So. And how long then did you have to go to jail? Cause it sounds like you were there for quite a while. Yes, I was sentenced to 15 years. And 
because even though um, because I was charged with a first degree robbery, even though the circumstances of my case were not. Um, they were not. I, I don't want to make it like I'm trying to minimize um, my offense at all because I take full responsibility for all of my actions, particularly those that led me to prison. But um, my robbery charge, uh, it was with uh, like a broken pellet gun. So it wasn't even with a gun that like a like a it wasn't a violent. Yes. Gotcha. It, it, it wasn't like that. Right. So. Right. I, um. But still, I was sentenced to a first degree robbery and I did 85 percent of that um, because in in Missouri, among quite a few different other states, you sentenced to a quote unquote violent offense and you are mandated to do um, a minimum of 85 percent of your time. And that's what I did. Feels like a lot. Yeah. 12 years. I I will not say I know about anything about law and prison system, but it it feels 15 years sounds. Yeah. Particularly for someone with um, like their first offense. Right. So I I ended up doing 12 years, nine months and six days of time in prison. Because I feel like you were the type of person that you would have served a few months and been like, oh, I'm not doing that again. Oh, absolutely. But the the law doesn't permit for that. Right. Even um, like I said, the charge, the judge uh, doesn't even get to decide, you know. Gotcha. It's it's like you charge with a a, what is considered a violent crime and you are sentenced to a minimum mandatory sentence. Gotcha. Okay, Gotcha. So not not a lot of gray area on that one. Not even a little bit. And what's worse, Mitch, is that like the victim in my case um, was a woman. She even came to court and it's on the record. And they do the state does a pre-sentence investigation report before you're sentenced to, you know, talk about your background. What like how did you reach that point at which you are like, you know, being swallowed into the clutches of the criminal legal system? And the victim in my case actually, you know, a lobby a light sentence she did not want us to be sentenced to a lengthy prison term but obviously really? yeah that wasn't taken into account either though i'll be darn oh wow so then you you do this and you obviously you know you're feeling like wow that was okay what the heck you know i was in right. college i had different plans and for whatever reason i decided to do this now you're in prison and you're given this opportunity with WashU. Now you had already had, so, so you didn't have that. Did you have, did what you had before college wise, you know, did those credits transfer over to some of what was happening with WashU or did you well, have to start from scratch? Some of them oh, did. good, good, yeah. good, good. Yeah. So um, I just want to point out something like, yeah, so I was in prison for a full, 11 years before I even had the opportunity to access the uh, higher education and oppor- in prison opportunity through WashU, you know? So um, it just speaks to the way the criminal punishment system in our country is set up. It's, it's really, um, I think the huge public misconception is that it's rehabilitative and that people are sent to prison and expected to be rehabilitated by uh, 
being ostracized and alienated into cages. And that's just right. that's far from the reality. That's not the reality at all. Um, I tell people all the time there, that the, there weren't programs at all during those 11 years. There were some programs. Just, there were some programs okay. offered by the state. But and I, I think I referenced this in, in the TED talk, the, uh, the programs offered by the state. Are not likely to be uh, you can't really use them for anything. I mean, no one is going to go to a job interview and say I completed anger management uh, seven years ago while I was in prison, you know, and if they do share that, they're not likely to have that acknowledged in a meaningful way trying to get employment, you know? So do you yeah. guys hear me? I'm sorry. I just, I just, I, I, you went out there a little bit on me. I can hear you. My, I'm having internet problems. So, <laughs> so catch me up on what you just talked about. And Paul, sorry, I keep having these issues. Paul's going to have to do some editing on this podcast. So tell me again what you said, Jamil, because I couldn't hear you. I was trying to hear, but I couldn't. I was saying that um, I didn't, the WashU opportunity didn't uh, become available to me until, until, until I was like 18 months left. I had already been in prison for a full 10 and a half, 11 years before I got an opportunity but, to. And the, but the programs, you were talking about some programs and they just didn't help. They, oh, they were, I was, yeah, I, mean, I was they, saying like they the programs. looked like rehabilitative, but they weren't rehabilitative or. No, I think, I mean, I have a biased opinion. I'll offer that disclaimer first, but in you my can view. You have your opinion. Yeah, in my view, the, the programs offered by the state, they aren't likely to be leveraged for anything when you get out. And that's when it's that's when it's that's when it's time to put up a shut up. That's when it's time when you have you've waited so long for this opportunity for to be to to start rebuilding your life and 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 all you're met with is resistance and this effort, right? This is not uh this is it's not unique. My my experience is not unique. This is this happens for everybody, right? In Missouri alone, there are over six hundred collateral consequences laws that restrict people with criminal convictions from from you know trying to rebuild their lives when they get out. And I think the public misconception is that prison is rehabilitative, and and, and that's just the furthest thing from the truth, right? And I was saying about the classes offered by the state. There there are um, quite a few different classes that are mandated, but those classes aren't, um, they don't provide you with anything substantive, anything tangible that you can leverage in the effort of rebuilding your life when you get out. Not even a little bit. Right. Yeah. And well, I had that's... accumulated over, I had accumulated over a dozen certificates before I had the wonderful opportunity of participating in a WashU prison education project. I think there's a lot that the general public does not know about prison. I think there's there's a lot that we has not been, you know, it's it and and and, and of course this is something that needs to come out. You know, I think there's been a lot hidden from us over the years about many things that we were not, you know, privy to that was not shared with people, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, there's so much coming out about history right now, about black history right now that I had no clue. I was never taught that. That was right. all hidden, you know? Right. So maybe it's, uh, 
it's it's that time when we get when everything finally starts showing up and we start truly understanding what is it like to live in in America or wherever with who you are, where you were brought up, your the circumstances that happen in your life. You know, what is it? It's it's important for us as people to see things through other eyes Absolutely. and to learn from other people. So then you you finally, I'm sure you're probably like, oh my gosh, my brain is so bored. I'm so happy Wash U showed up. You right? Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. start to finally get to like really kick in your brain and and um and learn something. What what did you what did you get your degree in? I got my degree in integrated studies. So um and that is as a result of Wash U accepting, graciously accepting more than half of my credits from Fisk. So I started the WashU program with, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 75, 78 credit hours. So I was nice. I, I had completed two full years, right? And well, WashU is a, a, a is a very elite private school, right? And, and Fisk is is elite as well, and it's also a private school, but it was a lot of wrangling and wrangling and determining which of my credits would be. And they accepted, like I said, the vast majority of my credits, but they were, it would have extended my degree. They weren't willing to accept um, all of my English credits. I would have had to take like an additional 20, 30 credit hours through WashU's English oh, yeah. department Got, yeah. to get a, a degree in English from WashU. And I, um, I was balancing work, life, trying to, re-enter into society in a productive and meaningful way. And I just wanted to focus on the completion of my undergraduate studies in the most efficient way possible. So. Got yeah. So then now you're out and you're, and how is it going? It's going well, you know, doing large part to those, uh, very helpful and beneficial YSU connections and contacts, right? So um, that's one thing that I found since I've been out is like a big part of life and social mobility is about relationships, you know? Yes. Like, and, and connecting. Yes. Yes. And, and the people you meet, you're right. Exactly. And, and just think about it. Like people who are formally caged are... Uh, you know, restricted in that way as well. And, and even having the confidence or the, um, the social position to advocate for oneself or to um, make efforts, I mean, take steps rather, that will improve your chances of being able to um, have a, a good quality of life for the time you have left, right? For, for people coming out of prison, it's like, it's like that's, in, in a lot of ways, that's where your sentence begins. You know, that's when that's when you are given the opportunity to um, show how resilient you are, so to speak, because that's when all of the challenges come down. I mean, like prison, for the most part, I mean, it's mentally and psychologically draining and and dehumanizing in many ways. But people can, you know, make it through prison without. without the same level of challenges coming in all the different ways and directions that challenges on the outside do, right? You know, right. You, you can rely on them, you know, giving you three horrible meals every day 
and you don't have to pay rent. You don't have these responsibilities and and um, these these things that most adults, you know, have. Well, right, and 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 not to mention that I'm sure it's difficult. So, you being an advocate, I can imagine. I'm, I'm thinking awesome on the education but what else is awesome is the connections that people got to know you the real you not just what was on paper oh he oh he committed a crime uh, well right. we can't have him work for us right? right people got to really know you so that they could also advocate for you and help you to find employment and begin this journey okay now you're 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 free right but you didn't feel you don't feel free a lot of times because now there's all these other things that people are still putting you in a box basically or in a cage in your words so the idea of education and making these connections is what helps these people that have been in prison to come out and be able to actually build a life exactly i mean because you were there a long time that's a long time absolutely a lot happened during that time mm-hmm Mm -hmm. Yeah. That you, I mean, you just had to learn how to just be a regular person. Yeah. With I, all the I, new tools and grad gadgets that we have now. Yes. Yes. I tell people a lot often in conversation that in a lot of ways I grew up in prison. Those are like from age 20 to 33. Those are really critical formative years in a yes. person's life. Right. So I, it's a lot of things I had to learn for the first time. You know, I, I hadn't, um, I hadn't ever had my own apartment. I've gotten an opportunity to experience that as a result of connections made through the campus community, right? I, I've never, uh, I had never worked a professional job, right? That required me to sit at a computer all day or, you know, do different things. It, not a manual labor job, right? I, I had an opportunity to do those things since I've been home as a result of so yeah as a result of connections and context made on the campus right so i um i really want to emphasize that like for a formerly incarcerated person the degree is really reduced to just a piece of paper without relationships in a network that you can rely on to generate right. opportunities for you right so yeah the um the degree for, for me wouldn't be anything without the context and the the network that I can tap into by helping rebuild in my life. So as an advocate for this, what, what are you doing as an advocate? What's going on to, to help these imprisoned people to get the education they deserve so that they can rebuild a life? Right. So I participate in the higher education in prison community. Um, not as, not as much as, I was a participant when I was employed in the higher education community, in prison community. I, I worked for the Alliance for Higher Education in Prison for um, a year and a half, a little over a year and a half, as I was working toward the completion of my undergraduate studies. And that was a great opportunity. It's a, the Alliance is a national nonprofit that works to integrate and serve as a, a resource to all the higher education and prison programs in the country. They do a lot of work in expanding, but also trying to ensure that the level of education is a quality one, that people who are 
imprisoned, getting an opportunity to access. So I had an opportunity to do that. I, I also recently worked for the Nashville Community Bail Fund, which is uh, a nonprofit that seeks to free people from what have been for the last year and a half, almost two years now, over two years now, uh, the pandemic. Can you imagine how much more exposed people in cages are no to kidding. the virus? Yes, yeah, so I worked with the Alliance. I worked for the Bill Fund. I also participate with the St. Louis Reentry Collective, which is a mutual aid fund that was established by a formerly incarcerated person and you know, like graduate students and undergraduates on um, the WashU campus. Um, I also am a person who participates regularly in the WashU Prison Education Project alumni meetings. We meet once a week to just, you know, share resources and ideas with with one another because um, like my experience has been and will be completely different from anyone else who um, comes out of prison and makes a strong effort to try to uh, do something positive with their life. But it often falls down to like us maintaining connections with one another. Although in, in some instances that could be prohibited even to the point where it's like considered against the, the uh, terms and conditions of a person's supervised release. Oh, right? gotcha. Right. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. But that's how anyone gets so, jobs, right? So then let's say that there's uh, someone who has a loved one in prison or, you know, are you or are a prisoner? How do how do you engage if they don't have something like this in place? Who do they talk to? How do they get this going? Who's the person that can bring this into the prison and make this happen? Do you do you feel like this is something that's going to become the norm in prisons? I would hope so. Well, first of oh, all, I would gosh. hope that prisons yes. are like, I hope that we can move away from, you know, well, and then there's that. prisons as Yeah, the like norm, let's right? just like put everybody in prison for, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible in the United States when you see the statistics us compared to the rest of the world. It's really incredible. It's, it's, it, I think people should look at it as embarrassing, right? If we're really well, like, the least, <laughs> yeah, it's like, there's a lot embarrassing right now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a lot. So, um, I, I feel like it's my duty. It's my obligation to try to do what I can to, hopefully ensure that someone else gets the same opportunities that I did. Cause that's the only difference in me and anyone else, right. That's coming out of prison. I have been afforded opportunities that I understood how critical they were. And I, and that's just it. This well, no, like, if you did not have this, you would get out and just be like, now what? Yeah. I'll tell you, you something. Know? I went, when I first got out, I was, uh, I had like really cool, really, really great professors who were like, look, you have to stay committed to this. And I was like, yeah, but I have to get a job. Right. So I went to um, apply for, I went to truck driving school after I had been out for about six months. I did a couple factory jobs, also jobs that I got through 
my advisor, my Washu advisor at the time. Uh, but I went to get a, a commercial driver's license because I thought that the trucking business is a felon friendly industry and I'll be able to secure employment. Right. Well, it turned out that's not the case. Right. So I, um, I learned relatively quickly that in the trucking industry, they can only uh, pretty much assure you a position if their insurance company will insure you. Right. Well, insurance companies won't ah. insure any driver unless they have six to nine months over the road experience. Well, how can I get over the road experience if I'm on parole? Right. right. But it, <laughs> yeah, it no. turns yeah. out right. that, that I got my parole officer to basically write me a blank check travel permit simply because I had emails and letters of recommendations sent from my professors. So you wouldn't even imagine oh, how awesome. many doors open up for you. If people see that why she let her hit, right? They see that letter they, they say, do. Hey, yes. this guy deserves an opportunity, right? So Oh, that's that's cool. And and we want this for everybody, right? Yes. There's I mean, there's so many people that are just perishing in prison right now that that you know they it's a wasted life and it does not have to be. Right. It just absolutely doesn't have to be. So I have some questions for you. You ready for some questions? Yes. Okay. So when you first get out of prison, I'm, I'm just going to guess prison food seems gross. Okay. Oh, it does not seem like super yummy, right? Not even. When you first bit. get out of prison, what, what did you have to eat? What was the thing you missed that you just I had to go I am a eat? really big breakfast person, right? So when I first got out, uh, I got picked up and, you know, my longtime close friend and girlfriend and partner, she picked me up and she took me to my sister's house and I just wanted to eat breakfast. Right. So I ate breakfast and it was, it was like homemade biscuits and eggs. And, you know, I just wanted to eat breakfast. Some of the food in prison is literally labeled not fit for human consumption. Right. What? They literally feed people, they literally feed people, food that is supposed to be fed to uh, horses. It's called cracked wheat. And they actually do feed it. To, they feed it to people in prison, in Missouri prisons, um, for like, like a hot wheat cereal. They call it hot wheat cereal or something. But the bag okay. of it says not fit for human consumption. Most of the food in prison is just, it's just, have you ever seen that show called Fear Factor? People get paid. To, people get paid. I, to, am, I know of it. What people get paid sometimes to eat like crickets bugs and or, yeah, yeah, different right. things like that. Yeah. So yeah, you felt like you were living fear factor every day. That's really odd Most to days. me that there's something that says not fit for human consumption and you're being fed this. I that I I can't put that together in my brain. Yeah, it's a lot of things about prison that you wouldn't be able to put together in your brain. Like, and, and that's what I mean. The the general public has a huge misconception about the benefits of the punishment system, right? Like, and I think it's become more, a lot of people are becoming more aware with, you know, the national and global protests of the last year and a half, two years. But the extent to which people in the general public are aware of the atrocities that are commonplace in prison is baffling, right? 
And um, T- tell us, educate us. I really do want to be educated on this. Say, for instance, right, the the budget for the Missouri Department of Corrections is is probably in the neighborhood of a billion dollars. I I don't know exactly, right? But the budget to maintain the prisons, right? So the last six nine months of my incarceration, I was at a prison where the hot water didn't work. The hot water didn't work in the whole prison, not even in the in the food service. So they can't even wash the trays and different things thoroughly, right? This is a health department violation. But how is this even possible when the budget is is somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion dollars, right? And these things are like like these things happen all the time. People die in prison oh, all the time. I'm I'm not even sure that I'm I'm fairly certain that the deaths from COVID and different things like that haven't been honestly and accurately reported. Um, yeah, the did treatment. you guys have? I read I I saw I saw something recently um, that a lot of prisons do not have air conditioning. Oh, none of the prisons. The only prisons in Missouri that have air conditioning in the state level are the prisons that are maximum security. These are the newer prisons, the prisons that the people there are not likely going home ever. I cannot imagine spending a summer in Missouri without air conditioning. I mean, it, Listen, it that has to be almost unbearable. In a concrete box, right? Like in, like in the... Uh, like all the lower levels, like the cust- the security level is lower than a maximum security prison. It's like I was at a prison in uh, Bowling Green, Missouri, near Hannibal, and the women's prison is not far away. It's in Vandalia in the Hannibal area. So um, they don't have AC, but they have a little slight slit where you can slightly open the window to the cell, right, and get some basically let heat in right but they pass out ice and if you like have too much of it some of the guys would like put ice in their sinks or in the toilet to try to cool the cell down and they would uh they would write you a conduct violation for that and they would call it trying to make a swamp cooler trying to cool down the cell would uh would, would get you a behavioral conduct violation and you're just trying to cool off yeah so I feel yeah. like it's like you're doing time. I mean, like you're doing what, what, you know, the court system is, you're doing time, but I feel like then the prisoners get there and there's, there's way more punishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's way uh, more punishment. Yeah. A lot of people aren't even, all the things you lose, like, like you said, uh, Six months is a long time. Just imagine yeah. the amount of family members you might fall out of touch with, family members who might pass away, family members who, you you know, you just grow apart from over the course of a lengthy. And, and then and then the uh, what bothers me, what, what frustrates me is that the conception is that, oh, this person deserves it because they committed this or that crime. Right. Right. And just think right, about right, it. Right. right. If we're really honest about it. Any crime that any quote unquote, accused person, a prisoner, or whatever you want to label this person, any crime that's ever been committed is probably a crime that our country is built on, if we're being honest about it, right? So uh, that's not to 
try to make sense of or justify anything. People do not make it through 13 years of prison without taking accountability, right? Without accepting well, responsibility yeah, for but something. We don't, right? You also should be treated in a, in a humane way. Exactly. You know, well, thank you for bringing light to that subject. And it, I mean, it really is something that people should be aware of. So then you, you get out of prison, you go have breakfast. Mm-hmm. What did you look at and go, what the heck is that? I mean, a lot has happened. A lot happened while you were in prison, a mm-hmm. lot of technology, you know, what did, what just really sent you back? Like, this is crazy. You know, the that phones, we did. The, the we phones. Did. The phones. The phones. I, yeah, that's right? what I was thinking. So I got out and it was like, I, I was asking my three-year-old niece a lot of times how to navigate the operations and the functions of a smartphone. And um, I'm still learning. Like four years later, I'm still learning how to navigate technology. Because that technology, technology just went, bam. Right. I mean, it just it went so far the other direction. And it was like you're carrying around everything in your pocket now. I mean, that had to that that had to just be like I just entered the space age. Yeah. And then social media. Right. For the first. Oh, yeah. I still haven't gotten a Facebook page. Uh, (laughs) I recently joined Instagram probably about nine months ago. uh, Whatever. Right. But like keeping up with like. And I'm glad I didn't because I immediately recognized it as a, a time thief, right? So Oh yeah, it can uh, be. Yeah. Yeah, it can be, right? But just maintaining connection or having that much access to different cultures and different parts of the world, being able to tap into different news outlets that's coming in real time, like yeah. That's incredible. Yes, that's definitely the the biggest feat. So one of the questions I always ask everyone, um, you know, and is and you are doing this amazing kindness by being an advocate for for prisoners and and having access to this higher education. But have you just top of mind recently? Have you received any kindness or witnessed any kindness or given some kindness? Tell me, tell me about that. Uh, I recently received an opportunity to apply for a fellowship with the Tennessee Innocence Project. Right now, I've I've done work in nonprofits, working to try to bring a direct service or a benefit to marginalized groups of people, specifically people who have been in prison. But I I think that just even the opportunity to apply for a fellowship with the Innocence Project is like. Working with people, because I've been to prison. I was in prison for nearly 13 consecutive years. I know for a fact that there are quite a few people in prison who are not guilty, right? They just play it out, right? right? So that was an act of kindness. I mean, because I'm always, I always try to acknowledge and, you know, just put it out there like, hey, I feel really privileged in these ways, even though my experiences are, you know, what they are. And in a lot of ways, I am a marginalized person. I do feel a lot of privilege and yeah. So that was an act of kindness that, that I was the beneficiary of, but well, in congratulations of, on that. Yes. Just to, just to apply for 
like a prestigious fellowship like there's uh something I recognize as an act of kindness as someone, you know. Very cool. Well, Jamil, thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be on your podcast. I was listening to some of the other episodes. I I, I don't feel like I measure up to some of the other guests you've oh, had. Oh, stop. This is the, the whole idea behind this is for people to, it's one, I want people to share their stories. I want people to, I want to help people see through other eyes. Mm-hmm. That's how we learn. But then also to understand that you can be super kind, but you can always take it up to that next level. And, you know, I, I get it. You know, people say, well, they deserve it. They're in prison. Well, that's just too bad that they don't have air conditioning. They're in prison. And we're forgetting that there are human beings in prison that really do not deserve this. They are human beings at the very core and they need to be rehabilitated in many ways. Mm -hmm. Not everybody is a lost cause, right? Not everybody is a lost cause. There's a lot of people in there that, that can be helped and are willing to be helped. And we need to know about that. Yes. And we need to accept our roles as community members to make it less onerous for people who are transitioning out of cages into society. Because just think about it, like it shouldn't be that the bulk of your punishment is going to come when you get out. <laughs> just think about yeah, that, right? Right. right. Like, yeah. Why would anyone be denied access to employment, to education, to housing after they have done their time? Right? And why wouldn't we as a society want to help that person to become an active member and positive member in society now? You know, that nice. would, it would be it would be ideal for all of us, but the rehabilitation has to happen, the education has to happen. You know, they have to be given help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There needs to be help, not no AC and yucky food. Right. It's just that's being that's just amazing. Well, Jamil, thank you. I really appreciate you being on my podcast. I very much honor you and what you're doing. Um, I'm excited for you. I mean, it, it just it sounds like from here you're just going to keep going into this amazing direction. I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much, Mitch. I appreciate your vote of confidence. All right, sir. You have an amazing day. And everyone out there, you too have an amazing day. Um, Hope we've opened up your eyes a little bit to some things that you haven't considered before. And be loving and kind to all. Thank you.